Hello, everybody. Welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Jose. I'm Mike. And uh, today we're going to be talking about a simple favor which we've just come from. A booty favor. <laughs> yes. The film uh, has, has a lot of French charm. The film so. has a fantastic 1960s pop soundtrack mm. um, with people like Serge Gainsbourg and so on that is really kind of marvelous to listen to. And, and, and gives the film kind of a flavor, doesn't it? It kind of puts it in a particular vein. Yeah, a little bit. It's, um, I, I mean, I, I would sort of describe it as like Gone Girl, but... Do you know what I mean? Gone Girl, but like livelier. I would describe it as a combination of Legally Blonde. As a, so this is, if I was uh, pitching it, I'd say, it's a cross between Legally Blonde and Le Diabolique. Right. As, you know, yeah, that's yeah. what it is, because they cite it. So it's like a thriller... But actually, it's a very funny one, yeah. yeah. So, or, or, or it's like a very dark comedy, kind of depending where you want to put the accent on. Well, the advertising, which has been absolutely ubiquitous, placed it as from the darker side of Paul Feig, director right. of Bridesmaids. Mm. Um, so Bridesmaids is it's the film for which he's kind of most known. He also did the reboot of Ghostbusters, which was all female, um, and I think he did a couple of uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy ones as well. I think he did Spy. Yes. Um, so, I mean, I, as much as I like Bridesmaids, I don't think he's a particularly good director, to be honest. I mean, there's all sorts of places in Ghostbusters that, that I think, God, there's just jokes here that you're not telling that could be so much funnier. On the other hand, I think this film, well, I think it has a real aptitude for, for generating kind of thrills and mystery. I thought it was brilliant when I was watching it because he does something that's incredibly difficult to do, which is... You know, on the one hand, to get laughs, which he got from me pretty consistently. I mean, they weren't like huge belly laughs like in Bridesmaids, but they were consistent laughs. Mm. He also made you feel kind of empathetic for the characters. Mm. You know, certainly Anna Kendrick was brilliant in it. You know, and then also he brings it like quite dark, like extremely dark, without actually making you dislike the characters. Yeah. You know, which I think is really quite something. So as we were coming out of the theater or as we were coming home, I thought, um, you know, there's not a, like anything to look at. There's nothing distinguish, like, you know, <laughs> so so I, I know what you mean. That's but not where the film's talents lie. No, exactly. It's, it's that's so, so that's what I wanted to draw attention to, how a film could be, you know, really, um, really achieve something in spite of having you know, of not, not being conversant with the more sophisticated dimensions of mm. visual storytelling. Yeah, <laughs> that's where we're putting it. And also that it was badly projected and they didn't fix it when I complained. The, the film was over-scanning the screen. Yeah. So it was, it, was, it was not the wrong aspect ratio. Well, it was, but it wasn't like squash. It was just cropped. Um, and you could tell in certain shots, which is quite We've, annoying. I mean, we love going to Cineworld, but I must say, like, the, the problems with the projecting at Cineworld are pretty consistent. Every, every two months or so, yeah, there's some, one. like, big major disaster, Yeah, you know. This um, wasn't as major as the other ones have been. I mean, you know, I was able to forget about it yeah. until, like, a, until, until just some shot came up where someone's forehead was cut off and he went, oh, that's the, they're fucking projecting it wrong. However... Uh, I, most, for the so most maybe part, we shouldn't comment on the visual side. Well, I think, I, think still, I think we can still say we got a pretty good impression of what the visual style was. Yeah, um, it's just a bit annoying that um, they didn't 
respond to my complaint or see what I was talking about. Um, anyway, so let's uh, uh, say, say what it's about. Anna Kendrick is the single mum who is the perkiest, bubbliest, most helpful, innocent thing you've ever seen in your life. Mm. Um, and she's always she, she runs this vlog um, yeah, called Hello Moms or something like that. And she, uh, you know, hello moms, I'm in the kitchen, we're making brownies, we're making this, that and the other, we're making blah, blah, blah. And, then, and nobody looks at this blog. Mm. It's purely for her, basically her friends take the piss out of it behind her back. Mm. Um, and there's this other mum at the school, played by Blake Lively, who is filthy mouthed, swears in front of her kid, um, incredibly well dressed. Yes. Um, in in sort of highest fashion, and and clearly a kind of high professional, pretty well off, and because their kids want to hang out together, their kids are like six or seven years old. Because their kids want to have a play date, the mums end up hanging out and getting to know each other. And they they become sort of friends, but not mm. quite, because that's really not what Blake Lively's character is about. Yeah. But it's totally what Anna Kendrick's character is about. So yes. they play off each other quite interestingly. Um, and then uh, Blake Lively, Anna Kendrick is quite taken advantage of by everyone, but especially by Blake Lively, um, saying, "Can you do this for me? Can you do that?" And she's just so happy to help out. Mm. Uh, she's the little volunteer that everyone knows. And then she gets a call from Blake Lively the one time. Hi, can you help me out? I need a favour. A simple favour, she says. And she says, yeah, I'll look after the kid, whatever. And so she looks after her kid, but then the mum doesn't come back. Yeah. And the whole thing develops about where has she gone and what happened to her. We should say, I suppose, we are very much going to get into spoiler territory now. Yeah. Um, well, let's just dwell on those first scenes because, you know, for me, it's the first time that I've really loved Blake Lively, you know? Yeah. Those opening sequences... I thought she She's was like fantastic. I thought she was like Ava Gardner or somebody like like an animal really like <laughs> you know like a big cat you know playing with this little Anna Kendrick right like uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the height difference is important I think she's 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 like she's got a good six inches on her at least that, there's very, the height very... difference but actually she handles all the sophistication and the martinis and you know her sexual history as she recounts it with that kind of brittle sophistication that you expect of someone like that. She's actually very, very good. Yeah. Uh, um, and I don't remember seeing her as good as she is in that whole first bit of the film uh, uh, ever before, really. To be honest, I don't remember seeing her ever. Ah. I've seen Green Lantern, which apparently she was in, but I don't remember a thing about it. Uh, yes. And that is... That's where she met Ryan. The only thing I've seen her in. So actually, she this was, is the only thing I've seen. She was in effectively. a film that I didn't see, but that did make a big splash. The Town? Ben no, Affleck? there's something about a shark or... Well, it's The Sisterhood of the Travelling Pants. No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> um, I don't know what we've got. Accepted, Simon Says, Elvis and Annabelle, New York, I Love You, The Private Lives of Pippa Lee, uh, Hick, Savages, The Shallows, Cafe uh, Society. The Shallows, I think, is what it is. And also, she, I thought she was wonderful in Savages. Which is a oh big, yeah, the shallow survival thriller yeah. about a surfer. Um, so I haven't seen that, but that was that made a splash. Mm. Uh, but but I love her in Savages. Actually, I I love Savages, uh, which is um, Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone, yeah, I, I like that very much. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of just disappeared really. Um, I mean, weirdly, I feel like I recognise it, but I just, I, I, gen I really haven't seen really. Well, she became a star on television in Gossip Girl, mm. so that's that's how I know her. From. I haven't seen that. Yeah. 
<laughs> I wouldn't have expected you to. <laughs> but I did. I've seen Gilmore Girls. Um, uh, Gossip Girls is a very girly show. It's about kind of New York society. So, um, did you see the connection to Reese Witherspoon? I, I think it, I think the whole of the beginning is really legally blonde. Except, I didn't, to be honest. Well, because she's super perky. She's like super organized. You know, she's the person who volunteers for everything. Mm. You know, and everybody makes fun of her as if she's some kind of idiot, really. Yeah. You know, uh, and then of course the tables get turned. So there's you know that plot of Legally Blonde where you know everything, everybody thinks she's she's stupid and super nice, but actually, you know, through her niceness, she turns the tables on everybody, right? That you know. Uh, to be fair, I don't remember Legally Blonde all that well. Uh, um, <coughs> wasn't wasn't the twist in that more that she used her knowledge of sort of shoes and makeup and hair and stuff to, to solve the case or to win well, the case yes. in court. <laughs> As opposed to being like a super legal genius. I didn't say they were identical. <laughs> no, 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 like no, no, but I, no, that's not true. So the whole thing is that she used her knowledge of makeup and everything whilst being completely on top of the law, right? So the, okay. I, the point there is that the two things are not contradictory. So here, you know, is this hyper-organized person who can't stop doing things and who volunteers for everything and who's super nice. And in that sense, the characters resemble each other. And then, of course, the other bit is that there's that, you know, there's mm. that shift in which actually she uses all of those skills of being super organized and she, what should she call herself? A problem solver, yeah. <laughs> you know. But instead of baking cookies, she solves a crime, right? So there is that analogy there. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, what did you make of the 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 uh, sort of budding friendship between the two early on? Well, I kind of um, I liked it, and I thought it was in character because you know uh, one is like really desperate to be liked, right, and actually is never quite sure of having been liked, mm. you know. And the other one, well, the thing about the other one is that she's a mystery. Because actually, when I first thought of this film as I was watching it, I thought, oh my God, it's like a film noir, but played for laughs, right? So it's very bright. It's a very brightly lit film. And actually, it's quite colorful and so on. But on the other hand, it has many of the same tropes as a film noir, yeah. right? You know, so it's like, it's, a, it's, a, it's about finding the women or uncovering the women. It's, yeah, it's a woman... Yeah, it's like mm. solving the problem of women is like the, the, the narrative trajectory of, of so many noirs. And actually, this is what this is about. Yeah, well, right? I think that's where, for me, the comparison with Bond Girl comes in. That's where it's at its strongest, is, is the central idea of who was this woman. Yeah. And kind of building a profile of, of, of her personality and her history through investigation and through and, and it motivated by her disappearance. Mm. And then obviously something, something deeper is going on and, and she's... She's kind of in in Gone Girl. It was very much that um, she was passive in her own life, um, and then was revealed kind of not to be, or, or or took control for herself. Whereas in this, there's no there's no real suggestion that she's passive in her own life. Like p passive in her own life, like from the very beginning, she's a professional. She's on top of things, and she is dominant in pretty much every scene that she's in. Mm. Um, but still, the idea of not knowing who she is. Um, I thought this was more of a female two-hander than Gone Girl. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, and, and which is, to me, part of the film's appeal, you know? Because, yeah. I mean, the normal thing would have been to give a more prominent role to the husband, right? And make either 
the wife or the Anna Kendrick character a more subsidiary character. So I thought the film narratively did something very interesting with by making, you know, the solution the, the, so the, the, the solution to this problem of who is this woman and what was her past is actually being solved by another woman mm. and not as would usually be the case by a noir hero or something, right? Yeah. So I thought that was really kind of unusual. Yeah, as that kind of amateur hour sort of what was she called Nancy Drew? Yes. Yeah, uh, Nancy Drew sort of thing to it. And it's very good fun. Actually, the film kind of shifts, shifts sort of gears at some point. So when it, when it shifts into Anna Kendrick taking initiative for herself and investigating, she takes like two days off mm. and sends the kids to live with some, you know, one of the other parents. Mm. Says, we all need some time to ourselves. And that's because she's doing her sleuthing at that point. The film really changes gears. Yes. And it becomes this, you know, I, I like the change in the character at that point. You know, when, I mean, you see it very early on when she, when she, it's when she's talking to the fashion designer, uh-huh. Blake Lively's boss. Oh yes, that was great. And and then she, she remembers something that Blake Lively's told her about. You know, you can't let them win. You've got to stand up and blah blah. blah. And so she 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 comes back at him in a really snappy, sort of catty way, uh-huh. and and wins the day because he can't. He doesn't have a comeback as good. <laughs> um, but then you know clearly that kind of it, that kind of sinks into her. You know, and so when she's she's taking the initiative for herself, um, and and looking for clues and investigating and going going to her mother and you know, pretending to be a cleaning lady and this that, and the other just to get in, um, you you her character develops in a really like I I liked everything that was changing about her. You know, not that I felt like she was like too much of a pussy before because I liked who she was at the start, but I liked that the way that she takes control. Yes. You know. Yes, I like that very much as well. Um, and actually, I, I mean, what surprised me about the film is that it feels very light and sparkly and funny, which I think is really the achievement of the director and Anna Kendrick, you know, mm. because she's got such, such great comic timing, right? Like, mm. you know, and kind of a lot of the laughs are the way she says things or the way that she performs yeah. things right yeah. um and the director allows her to do it because actually the material is really dark right so there's a whole thing about incest mm. yeah um and actually that's never well let me ask you this is a question i mean did you think when she was telling the story when her husband caught on that the child might not be his and that she was probably having an incestuous relationship with the brother. And that was from the moment that he saw, she saw them with a the kid. Mm. Did you think actually that we were meant to think that actually, yes, it's true? What do you mean? That, 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 she's, that she's having a relationship with a half-brother? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought so too. Right? Yeah, yeah, so, so. so, you know. I mean, there's I a, mean the, the, the film does interesting things in, in, in showing you one thing and having someone else tell something over the top at, t- at times. Yeah. So, so when, uh, when Anna Kendrick is telling Blake Lively about this. It's her darkest secret. Yeah. She says she met her half-brother for the first time after 30 years of not knowing she had one. Um, and then they kissed. Yes. And that's where it ended. Yes. And then, and as she's denying that anything else happened, the flashback is showing you sure, that they yeah. slept together. Right. And then a little bit later on, um, when Blake Lively turns up at her grave and kind of all is revealed about what actually happened and what the, what the plot was... Um, she kind of reveals everything truthfully mm. and then she gets to um, and then my sister 
went out to the lake and drowned herself and I wasn't there. And, and, and again, what you're being told is not what you're being shown. What you're being shown is her drowning her sister. Yeah. You know, and so the, the film, that, <clears throat> that tension between the two is really, really well played. And, it, and at, at both times, the woman who is saying the lie is being called on it by the woman who's listening to it. And the first okay. time, Blake Lively says, nah, bullshit, you fucked him. And the second time, Anna Kendrick says, no, nah, bullshit, you drowned her. Mm. While that's happening. But this is more... Uh, this is, I think, more interesting or more sophisticated, I think. Because actually what you're shown is a flashback of her remembering this incident between her husband and her brother, mm. right? In which kind of... You know, she denies it, and the camera lingers on her husband's look, right? So actually, you know, nothing is explicitly stated. So it's kind of left theoretically ambiguous, except, you know, what's conveyed to you is that, that you know, you think that the husband's right, mm. right? So, so it's a flashback in which kind of, presumably through her head or feelings, the husband's word is given as the truth mm. yeah so i thought that was interesting and also in that scene in in the flashback with the husband um you do that thing of again um he he basically challenges her to deny it mm. and she stutters and can't which is exactly what happened when blake lively challenged her to deny it and so that's again i think you know it's the strongest clue yes. that this is for real they were absolutely you know they were carrying on together um, yes um, I don't think you're supposed to be in any doubt about that. What did you make of the fact that she was having this relationship with her brother? Like, it's, it seems so contrary to everything else about the character, but it seems to be trying to say something about, about there being a darkness in everyone, perhaps, and it's, like, so much more dark in her than it would be in anybody else. And maybe that's, like, in reference... Maybe that kind of conflicts with then... Or it, it's, it contrasts so, so sharply with how bright she is on the outside that, like, she's trying to cover that up. Well, I think what it's trying to do, to for me is actually show a real homology, a real comparison that the two, the two protagonists have you know, much more in common than actually their exterior uh, would indicate, really. So, you know, kind of this, this um, confident, elegant, sophisticated, urban woman, mm. right? She's a self-made woman, you know? Yeah, and mm. you're then given her whole backstory. Um, Though she actually does remain extraordinarily confident, you know, and ruthless. Um, whereas, you know, I think, I think with the Anna Kendrick character, you know, she's given like um, this quite dark um, past. I mean, but she herself is not rendered a, a dark character. She's strong, but not ruthless. Mm. You know, she does remain kind of good in spite of, you know, this, this thing. You know, I mean, it, you know, she hasn't committed a crime. She hasn't killed anyone. She, but, you know, she's had sex with her half-brother. That is a crime. Is it a crime? Sure, it is a crime, yeah. She's had I think a kid it's a with him as well. I think it's a taboo, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm pretty, no, I'm sure it's a crime. I mean, not that I've looked into this. <laughs> but she had a kid, I, with, him. She had a kid I, with him as well. That's, like, that's another thing, you know? Yes. Um, that's extra bad. 
I'm, I'm not. I, you know, I don't stand in judgment. Well, it's not, like, it's not like killing someone, is it? You know, no. though. Though the interesting thing, or you know, what the film makes interesting, is that actually the murder that they initially commit, her and her sister, which forces them to run away, is as a result of parental abuse. Like her father is so abusive mm. that they basically set the house on fire. So it's kind of, hmm. it's it's kind of rendered. I don't know about it. Yeah, it's given reasons, if not quite rendered understandable, if you know what I mean. Well, parenting is a theme throughout the film, and and that, in a way, is kind of where it starts for Blake Lively's character, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, because Anna Kendrick's character is completely dominated by basically how good a parent she is and how much she looks after everything, and, and this, this and talk being of a being mum as a 24-7 job, 24-hour job, and then you get to when she's investigating Blake Lively's past and she meets her mum, and she says... You know, she says, "Are you a parent?" And Anna Kendrick goes, "Yeah, I love it." And she says, "Then you're mentally ill, or something like that." Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> like uh, it's a uh, fucking uh. horrible job, and we but you have to do it or something. And some kids, some kids are just born bad or yeah. something like that. She says, "You know, this kind of really contrasting thing that Anna Kendrick just doesn't think at all or, or won't let her think." I want to. I I do want to get into the supporting cast now because um, Blake Lively's mom is played by Jean Smart, mm. who is just. Terrific. I mean, as soon as I saw her, she made me happy because, you know, I actually I haven't seen her since she was a big television star in the 80s and 90s with designing women. And I haven't seen much of her, really. And I think actually I think that's that's part of Paul uh, Feig's talent, you know, that he can bring in Rennell's, you know, who plays like this gay dad, really, you know, um, and Gene Smart and kind of you know, make them, particularly Jean Smart, inhabit like a kind of a gothic character, really, you know, <laughs> which is what she's playing, but actually kind of, you know, also make it um, human and funny, you know? Yeah. Is Paul Feig gay, I wonder? I don't know. Why is that? I'm just curious, because this, this, this film has a flavour of that, to some degree. I think, I think in um, uh, Andrew Reynolds' character and also Rupert Friends, the designer. Ah. Um, there's there's kind of a sensibility of that somehow, and the and I mean maybe this is just like over stereotyping, but it's like the fashion sort of conscious. Like there's there's, there's so much in the in the set and costume design of everything. Yeah, you, it's about you how, learn how, so much about everybody through the way they dress and maybe that's make the houses. writer. Maybe because it's written by a woman, you know. So maybe those jokes about how to wear a Hermes scarf and that you don't wear a Hermes scarf. Tied like that in front, you know, on top of a Gap T-shirt. Yeah. Um, you know, like, yeah. But um, I'm married to a lady. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, though, though, I do know where you're coming from, actually. But I, I also just think that's one of the nice things about, yeah. you know, um, yeah, this particular time. Though maybe not. I mean, you know, you could argue that the Renell's character is a bit of a stereotype. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's just there for comic effect. But I loved it, you know. Well, yeah, and I was going to say something about Rupert Friend. Wow. Oh. You know, I, I think that I think both the characters head towards the line of... Uh, cliche. Oh, yeah, cliche, over-stereotyping. Yes. But, but don't quite reach it. And, and they're, again, very likeable yes. to both of them. It's almost used like a colour in the film or a tone. It's very well used, actually. Yeah. You know, the film has this rhythm, and really they come in almost as punchlines, you know, and they brighten up the, the joint. So, um, yeah. yeah, I like that very much. 
I think I think it's a much better film than I was expecting. expecting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for sure. You know, and and there's very much a, a playoff on Le Diabolique. Have you heard of Le, Le Diabolique? I, I know, but I'm not saying it. Okay, well, uh, it's a French film uh, with Vera Clouseau and Simon Signoret, who are both great, right? And the whole thing is that you know, through half of the film, you're led to believe that there's a conspiracy between the um, the husband and the mistress to kill off the wife, right? Yeah. And then afterwards, you you realize that the conspiracy is really between the mistress and the wife to kill off the husband. Right. Right. And so the film does that kind of switch. And actually it refers, mm. well, you think it's going to do that switch. Uh, and it refers to to the film specifically. Yeah, right? yeah. So you can see that, you know, that... When Anna little... Kendrick storms and says, are you diabolicking me? Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, I think this film edges towards overcomplication towards the end. When it, it starts to get a little bit convoluted and, and kind of twist back on itself more. Not necessarily more than it needs to, because again, ultimately it kind of makes sense. But there's once things start coming out and it's kind of it's revealed that... Uh, Blake Lively is still alive, and there was this plan to to get this four million dollars from life insurance. Um, once that has been kind of established, then there is so much sort of going back on each other, and that scene right at the end where Anna Kendrick pulls a gun on them and then shoots the guy uh, in his chest, and it's revealed to be a squib. It's like it's 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 almost like that the parody version of a scene like that, where it's like the gun's on you, now it's on me, now it's on you. Well, the whole thing is that the whole thing is played for laughs. Yeah, a little bit. But I don't think that scene is quite so much. Like, it, when, it's, when it turns out that it's just a squib and they were trying to... And Blake Lively knows clearly that they're just playing it. That's not, that's not there for laughs. Well, that there is a twist. Well, there is a it twist shifts in the scene. tones... And I, so shifts is the wrong word. It manages its tones incredibly dexterously. Yeah. Right. So, you know, there is that moment where it's tension. But then actually when, you know, when she runs outside and the car gets it, that's that's a laugh. That's a laugh. Yeah. You know? No, that bit is true. Um, I'm just so, saying that, that specific bit, though, I think it, that's where it's, it's really it's the plot overcomplicating itself, I think, yes. a little bit. Um, I, it, but I do like how I, I do like that ultimately on top of it, it kind of it has this kind of kind of almost melodramatic air of mystery at points and, and, and thrillerness and. Like, 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 so for instance, um, the whole backstory with the half brother and sleeping with him, and, and that's you know kind of revealed gradually as that their relationship is a little bit more than than at first you thought, and she's kind of hiding it. But then, it's when you're first, actually the first thing you know about her husband and half brother is that they were killed together in a car accident. Yes, and that's a source of uh, that's why she's a single mother, and that's a kind of source of her grief. Um, and it's revealed very kind of organically and brilliantly, I think, in that flashback with the husband, that the husband has driven into that barrier deliberately to kill the brother and kill himself because he has nothing left to live for. Now that he knows the kid isn't even his. Yes. That's a brilliant flashback and it's a brilliant twist. Yes. And that really got is. me. Yes. Yes. So it's a, it's a fascinating film because, you know, on the one hand, it feels quite light and poppy, you know, and it does gain all of these laughs. On the other hand, it's very unusual to see both protagonists in a film be as dark as these two are. Even though at the very end of the film, you still think of, you know, Anna Kendrick as like, you know, poppy and bright and happy and, yeah. you know, 
But, you know, she's, yeah. Has this dimension. She, yes, it's kind of, it's a past as dark as, you know, yeah. the femme fatales. I, um, there were, there were a couple of things I saw coming, and I don't know if that's a failure of the film in a way, because I like to be surprised by these things, and normally I am. I saw it coming that there would be twins fairly early on, and I also saw it coming that she would be live-streaming right at the end. Oh. Partly because I thought that's what I would fucking do. Yeah. I mean, like, like in that situation, if I'm in Anna Kendrick's situation, I'm kind of thinking I'm recording every conversation, whether you know well, it or not. Well, I, I mean, I knew, <laughs> I knew that she was. I, my, I, it came as a surprise to me because I thought for sure she'd be recording it, like she'd have her own phone on or something. Mm. But actually, the live streaming did come as a surprise to me, even okay. though I felt stupid because she is a vlogger with a V. So, you know, I should have thought of it. Was I, you know, I was just thinking of the recording. Yeah. The other thing I, uh, the thing I didn't like about the film is, is the very, very end, the intertitles that come up and say, um, you know, such and such character is doing this, such and such character is doing 20 years in prison, this character has now got a novel out. Yes. Because, like, that, if, you, if you're telling a true story, like Catch Me If You Can or something, if you're telling a true story and you want to find out, okay, where are these real people now? Absolutely, perfect, I like that, that's fine. But if you're making it up, Yes. then I don't need to know where these fucking bullshit people end up. Like, end the film properly. So that it, it, there's a shot of just Anna Kendrick. It's the last vlog, and she kind of signs off the vlog. And I'm going, that is a perfect final shot to the movie. You open with a vlog, you end with a vlog, it's all been wrapped up. But then it goes, no, we're going to try and make you laugh a little bit more with these stupid titles that mean nothing. I didn't like that. Well, I know what you mean, but actually I was glad of them because it made, it made you come out of the theatre happy. Right. Well, I thought it ruined the end. <laughs> well, you thought it ruined the end, but it, the t it changed the tone. The tone went into a light tone, uh, and I and I liked coming out of the theater in that way, actually. So, mm. um, and I think it's more acceptable in comedy than drama, right? And I think that you know, to me, the achievement of this film is kind of managing those different dimensions. I, you know, kind of telling you the story and making you come out of the theater feeling kind of happy. Well, it's the classic Hollywood happy end, isn't it? Well, you know, the, she gets her comeuppance and everything's sorted out and Nana Kendrick goes off happy and fulfilled and improved and yes. satisfied. And, but with... And Black Lives Matter goes to prison. Incest in her past. Yeah, but I mean, she seems, she seems kind of happy with it, to be honest. <laughs> I know, well, that's what's amazing. And, and you come out of the theater feeling kind of happy about it too. <laughs> yeah, I was happy with it all the way through. Yeah. I, mean, I don't mind that. I thought it was the, the steamiest scene in the whole film. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, let's wrap up. I, 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 I think it's a really kind of considerable accomplishment, actually. It really took me by surprise, you know, and I think it's something that's very, very difficult to do, and it kind of has increased my respect for um, the director, kind of. Well, it's given me some respect for him, because I didn't really have any before, but this is quite good. <laughs> no, it's true. Well, you know, I, I love Bridesmaids. Yeah. Bridesmaids had some jokes. I mean, they were very crude, but they made me laugh like anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, the Melissa McCarthy character in that film is It's quite is funny. Genius. But I think there's many dancers' performance in that film, whereas in this film, you can feel like his kind of guiding hand on the tone right. is, is very important. Yes. Um, that's, what I'm, that's kind of where I feel. I anyway, liked it. I, think it's good. I liked it very much, and I would highly recommend it. Well, I also recommend that like, if you heard this podcast, it probably won't be quite as good because it ruined everything. But that's the way it goes. Well, we hope you listen to this podcast after you've seen the film. But if you haven't, And then late. let us know what you think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are on... Uh, Twitter, 
Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, WordPress. All the rest. Yes. Uh, um, <clears throat> so, uh, this is eavesdropping at the movies. Thank you very much for listening. Ta-ta. Bye-bye. <laughs>